You're going to love this. Just love it. Jokers beware from Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles. This is your broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Up in Oregon on KYAQ 91.7 FM on the Central Coast, 106 FM Queso in Cozy Cottage Grove. Out in Pennsylvania on 93 FM WLRI in lovely Lancaster. Out in Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU, the voice of Maui. Coast to coast and around the globe on kpfk.org. Streaming on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Radio or Not, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Nashville, and of course, Radio Sputnik, five days a week. You can run. But you can't hide from the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around super swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you for for joining us. Always uh, always great to have you here. We will be... Uh, Desi Doyen is also here with me, by the way. Hi, Desi Doyen. Yes, I am here. I'm yes, right you, here. You am uh, my co-host, of course, on the Green News Report and our producer here. And uh, Desi Doyen, we are finally back, finally back with an all-new, all-fresh Green News Report, first one of the year. Brand spanking shiny new. Yes, ma'am. And plenty to cover, given everything that went on over the holidays, uh, frankly, across the country and across the world. And as the media decided, oh, well, let's talk about it as uh, the, the flooding, the fire, the wildfires, the, 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 the snow, the rain, the tornadoes, let's talk about it as... Uh, oh, look, it's El Nino, that naturally occurring cycle that happens. That's all. That's all it is. <laughs> Not really. Nothing else. Yes, climate change is supercharging El Nino. We'll talk about that in our uh, in our Green News report coming up. As a matter of fact, uh, out in Great Britain, where they actually have done a little bit to prepare for climate change, uh, their defenses that they put in place don't seem to be working. We also have states of emergency in uh, in several different states. Uh, in se- yeah, in several different states concerning that uh, water crisis up in Flint where the uh, governor essentially has poisoned the children of Flint, Michigan. Out here in California, not very far from Los Angeles, where this massive natural gas leak continues. And then there's this... <laughs> Remark, you know, so many of these stories are things that we warn people about, that we've been warning people about for years, and then they happen, and uh, oh, what a surprise. Under NAFTA, the North American Free Trade Agreement, the Canadian oil company TransCanada is now suing the U.S. because we didn't allow them to build their Keystone XL pipeline, and they are using NAFTA to do it. And this is exactly the problem we've talked about when it comes to TPP and why that 
should be rejected, at least according to critics of this thing who appear to be absolutely right. So we will get uh, to all of that on this program. But first, yes, it is official. We are now in a presidential election year. On this program, we cover elections all year round rather than waiting until uh, just before the uh, you know people actually go out to vote when it's too late to do anything about it. We are just about at that point where it's too late to do too much about it. But there are certain things we can do to protect our votes. We're going to talk about that and about this uh, this massive database. Boy, I don't want to call it a, a hack, a voter database. Well, all right, to put this in in uh, in context, just before Christmas, you'll remember we talked about it on this show, there was this kerfuffle between the Bernie Sanders camp and the Hillary Clinton camp and the DNC. Uh, the, the private contractor who runs the DNC's voter database seems to have screwed up. Uh, removed the firewall from the system so that uh, the Bernie Sanders campaign could see the voter data from the Hillary Clinton campaign and vice versa. And the DNC, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, controversially cut off the Bernie Sanders campaign entirely from all of the voter database, at least for a few hours. Uh, the uh, The Sanders campaign filed suit against the DNC, and they, they let him back in soon enough. Well, just a, a few days later, a week or two later, according to the New York Times, uh, a database of first and last names, recent addresses and phone numbers, party affiliation, voting history and demographics from 191 million voters. Uh, 191 million voter records was posted online over the final week of 2015. That latest example of voter data becoming freely available, according to The New York Times, alarmed even privacy experts who say that the information can be used for phishing attacks, identity theft and extortion. It is not known who built the database that exposed that 191 million voter records, where all that data come from, and whether its disclosure resulted from an inadvertent release or from a hack. The disclosure was discovered by an information technology specialist, and the findings were published on databreaches.net. Federal authorities were alerted to the possible concerns about security and the legality of what was done. Indeed, nearly all of the data that was released was already publicly available, but having it compiled in one place makes it particularly valuable, says the Times. Big data advocates argue that uh, what it was in the voter files is nothing more than what was in the white pages of a phone book, if you can find uh, white pages or a phone book. Uh, that information augmented with party affiliation and voting history not which candidate that people voted for necessarily, but whether they voted or not. Uh, but privacy experts say that that alone, uh, especially when compiled in one place, is cause for concern. So here to talk about that concern and the upcoming primaries is our old friend Bev Harris. She is founder of the nonpartisan election integrity watchdog blackboxvoting.org. She is author of the now infamous book, Black Box Voting, I call it infamous in part because it was said to have been one of the books on Osama bin Laden's bookshelf. Really, really. Back when he was captured and killed at his compound in Pakistan, 
black box voting, or BBV as we call it, has long fought uh, against opaque, non-transparent electronic voting and tabulation systems. And as I say with another presidential year finally upon us, for real this time, seems like it's been here forever, but now it really is. It's a good time to have Bev Harris back to talk about both the voter database exposure and what voters can and or should do to protect their vote as the caucuses and primaries begin in earnest in less than one month's time. Bev Harris, welcome back to the broadcast. Well, hello, Brad. I hope you're going to have a great year this year. Oh, boy. I, I can't tell if there's some irony, sarcasm in that remark. I'm not sure. Uh, I hope you're going to have uh, a good year. Actually, I hope that you and I have a really boring year. That would be nice for a change. Well, yes, uh, uh, but I have a feeling it's yes. going to be extremely interesting. That's what I'm concerned about. All right, well, we'll get to some of that and some of the voting specific voting concerns. But on this database stuff, I know you've looked at it uh, very closely over the last few days, writing about it at blackboxvoting.org. Is there any connection, first off, between that DNC, Bernie, Hillary voter database kerfuffle before Christmas and then this release of 191 million voter records that appeared on the Internet just before the new year? Are those those two stories connected at all in any way? Well, you know, that was my first thought, but uh, they don't appear to be. By the way, there were two DNC uh, problems, one in October Mm -hmm. that was not reported in the press and victimized Bernie Sanders, actually, which he reported to the DNC and said, please plug the hole, and they did. And then the second one in December. Um, but those are a different critter altogether than the one, the one that the New York Times talked about, which, mm-hmm. in which 191 million yeah. uh, voter records were exposed. Uh, there's a couple of things wrong with that. Yes, it's public record. But in several states, and by the way, this is compiling, concatenating all the different states together. In several states, it's not legal to just post it unfettered on the Internet where everyone can see it. And there's good reason for that. So, Well, um, so to be clear, the information is public information. You could go to each, what, county by county or state by state and request? You could request? go state by state. Okay. And, and you could request it and you could get it. Um, but you have to, in so, in most states, or in several anyway, you can't use it for commercial purposes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't sell the information. You can't profit from it, and you're not supposed to just stick it up on the web. Mm-hmm. Um, there's good reasons for that. I mean, you know, in order to get out of being publicly listed, you have to go through this fairly comprehensive procedure, you know, and get it notarized in some states to so you have yourself taken off. You don't want police officers and stuff to have to be on that list on the web for everyone to see where they live. That's mm-hmm. bad. Uh, same with, uh, you know, somebody who's a victim of spousal abuse. So mm-hmm. there are ways to opt out. Not everybody does it or even knows they can or even knows their information is going to be posted someplace. Uh, you know, there are reasons to protect that and not make it too readily available, but it has to be a public record because mm-hmm. it's a critical accountability document. You have to be able to know who can vote and who did vote mm-hmm. uh, in order to have any accountability in elections. And the, and the public needs to over, be able, if they wish, to oversee those voter lists. So if there's concern about uh, who is voting or is there illegal voting going on, uh, we don't just trust one source. We don't just trust the, the, the government right. or the county clerk to make that right. decision. That's, and that's very critical. But that doesn't mean you have to stick it on the web for everyone to right. see. Right. Um, so that's very interesting. And you did an excellent job of summarizing it because... 
we don't know if that was a hacker or an organization that just left a firewall open or something, but I, you know, they can't really figure out who the IP address, you know, if it's on the web, mm-hmm. it, it, there's an IP address that's supposed to lead somewhere, and so it shouldn't be that hard to figure out who it was. Uh, but that has not, even with the security experts, they have not been able to determine uh, where that IP address led. So that kind of makes it look to me a little bit more like it was placed up there by somebody. Um, by and accident? By, by tie it in. Placed up, Bev? <laughs> by accident? By accident? Uh, probably not. Uh, you know, I mean, why would you go to all the effort to uh, make it difficult to trace a website if it was an accident? Why would you, you place know, it up a, there? It was a, it's a lot of it's a lot of data. I mean, it was yeah. like a hundred gigs. Well, it's why not would you that quick? Why would you do it uh, if not an accident? Why would you do it know. on purpose? What what nefarious uh, or or less than nefarious purpose do do you accomplish by posting one hundred ninety one million? Well, you know, it, it was it was not the most recent data. It was okay. like two thousand fourteen. Okay, uh, certainly as a file swap. You know, if you had somebody and you say, I'm going to put this up here and you grab it and then mm-hmm. we'll, you know, pretend we didn't know anything about it. So who, who knows? Okay. But what is, at first, when you brought this to my attention, I thought, well, it was for the most part publicly available. It was only on there for a few hours. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's a huge deal. But then another one was reported yesterday. And this one is extremely interesting. It was only 56 million records, <laughs> 56 million being about a quarter of the United States. So this is a separate a separate release, a separate release of a voter records. A separate one okay. on a different IP, All right. different web, website. Uh-huh. And this one did not just contain publicly re- public record information. Mm-hmm. This one also contained all kinds of profiles, like... Um, are you a religious person? Uh, do you like guns? Um, mm. It was clearly a Republican-oriented, uh, either mm-hmm. libertarian or Republican-oriented. In okay. the in that the it, the information on it was uh, very much of interest to Republicans and libertarians. So it had the voter uh, records, the names, the address, all the same party affiliation, all the same stuff that this other one had, but it had additional. Augmented uh, information, augmented records, uh, akin to what that's akin to what uh, Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton were working with at the DNC, where they had the DNC voter database, but they added their own unique information uh, to that database that the other one was not supposed to be able to see. Right. Okay. So this last one, uh, with only 56 million records, um, because of that augmented data, it was possible, and this was also discovered by Chris Vickery and reported at databreaches.net, really excellent work. There has been some progress in figuring out who that traces back to. Uh, And I have to say, part of... uh, you know, the time-consuming part of writing this for me has been there's been a lot of kind of tantalizing coincidences. For example, one of the companies that has admitted that some of the data traces to them is not Nation Builder, as as was reported in the uh, New York Times, yeah. but a company called Digismartech. Now, you remember back in 2004, there was a website called smarttech.com. This is a website called Digismartech. 
Okay. And that's the kind of sort of tantalizing clue that makes you go, whoa, are these the same people? Because that SmartTech operation in 2004 mm-hmm. actually siphoned off the um, and reported the state of Ohio presidential voting report, uh, results. Instead of going right. to the Secretary of State site, they went to right. this outfit in Tennessee, yep. which turned out to be tied very closely to the Republican Party. It was, a, it was a very interesting story. So I haven't found any connection between those, but it's the kind of thing hmm. where you can't ignore it, and you go, wow, you know, what is this? And that but, was, uh, and just, it, to, just to remind people, that was the, the, the story of uh, Michael Con- Mike Connell, who was working for the uh, RNC, uh, doing their database stuff, and uh, that you're right, that information in Ohio on election nights, for some reason in the middle of the night, Ohio was in 2004 the last state to come in. It was going to determine whether George W. Bush or John Kerry would be the president, and for some reason, rather than the state of Ohio uh, keeping everything on their own servers, it, all the data w- went to a, some place in Tennessee in the middle of the night and then got reported on the web, either accurately or not. The results uh, got reported either accurately or not through this RNC company, this Republican company, when we were talking about the actual presidential election results from 2004. And that fella, Mike Connell, uh, ended up uh, supposedly he was uh, th- well he, he wanted to talk about what happened in 2004 he was subpoenaed to talk about it and then he ended up dying in a plane crash just before Christmas uh, just after test of, uh, just after uh, a deposition uh, so some spooky exactly. circumstances I mean, so it's yeah. a huge a yeah. huge story and and two names that are remarkably similar and, and spelled the same other than one says Digi before it. However, hmm. okay. and I've only had that information for, you know, a very short time. I can't find a connection between them, but I, you have okay. to say it's intriguing. It is. Uh, another thing that's very intriguing in the 56 million records that are, re- <laughs> are released is there are two fields that they added to Augmented uh, called Patriot, I uh, know, not Patriot, uh, Pioneer and Pioneer 2. Now, mm. if you recall, a Bush pioneer yeah. was a person who was given this honorary title because they had given $100,000 or more, right. bundled it. Of course, there's a limit right. to how much you can give as an individual, but they bundled that together. Okay. So, uh, you know, my first thought on looking at this was, gee, you know, is this something either that was being worked on for Jeb Bush or to sabotage his campaign or someone... You know, it's hard to know yeah. how this data got into the wild, but the company, Digismartech.com, um, was not aware of it and uh, immediately uh, removed access to it when they were made aware of it. Interesting. So you have but- to wonder uh, what games are being played. Uh, you know, I, I have to say, and of course, I'm quite skeptical about so many things after all these years, sure. but it, it just doesn't smell like uh, an accident. <laughs> that one does it's, not smell like an accidental release of that data. No. No. Wait, it's, I, it's, yeah, go ahead. You know, it's really hard to understand uh, what the game was behind it, but uh, it certainly was a breach of those folks' privacy. By the way, this company, this Digismartech.com, is, is Digital Smart Technology, Inc., and it's actually based in California, in the Bay Area. 
Oh, sure. So, now you're blaming me because I'm in California. I see what your game is, is, Bev Harris. It's your fault. Listen, listen, I got, I got to get to a, a, a quick break, and then I want to come back and talk to you specifically about Iowa coming up, New Hampshire, South yes, Carolina, yes. Nevada, and the voting systems that are going to be in play. But before I do, just very quickly, on, on all of this data stuff, I mean, these are the same people. Uh, I guess both the government uh, and uh, private companies who would be supposedly handling uh, Internet voting processes that so many people who are unaware of the idiocy of such a proposal are advocating. Uh, correct? These, th- this data that has been released? You know, different players, but it goes through the backbone. of the. I mean, you're, 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 the point I think you're getting at is this stuff is not secure. It'll probably never be secure. Uh, one of the things, uh, you know, that I, I did was really research how many of these breaches have occurred over time, and, and, and it's a shocking number. Uh, in fact, Maine just reported, mm-hmm. Secretary of State of Maine just reported a couple of days ago, oh, not to worry, Homeland Security told us that there was a breach of our system, but all of the voters' information is now secure, not to worry, it was the town of Millinocket that was responsible. That was them. They had malware on their computer. You can't secure this stuff. You can't it's secure. Not happen. And, and we're talking about, uh, in this case, this 191 million records that you said that the suggestion uh, see, it, it appears to be from 2012, and we only just now found out about it. So, what could they do? Uh, you know, certainly to internet uh, voting election results, but even the uh, optical scan systems, certainly the touchscreen systems, and even the paper ballot optical scan systems that we use today, those are also run by. Uh, computers that are not overseen by any human beings. I want to take a quick break and come back and speak with Bev Harris of blackboxvoting.org more specifically on that as we head to the presidential primaries and what we can expect, look forward to or not look forward to in those uh, in those uh, first few Iowa uh, first few primary and caucus states in Iowa, New Hampshire and so forth. Uh, sit tight, Bev, I'm going to take a break. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your broadcast. Stay tuned. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence. Why? Because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com slash donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com slash donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. Little black boxes in cute little rows A screen that says touch me so cheerfully glows No paper trail, a make-believe pole Cast your vote down the memory hole mm-hmm. Little black box where your little vote goes Down and down the memory hole Oh where, oh where did your little vote go? Where did it go? Nobody knows That's the problem! Nobody knows! Little black Oh, brother. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Thanks for sticking with us. As the presidential election year is finally underway, seems like it has been underway for at least a year, but uh, it's underway for real now. And we are just days away from uh, the first votes finally being cast 
in the 2016 presidential election in Iowa in less than 30 days and then in New Hampshire in just over 30 days. I'm speaking with Bev Harris of blackboxvoting.org. She's the fond- founder of that nonpartisan election integrity uh, organization. Uh, Bev, let's talk about the presidential primaries uh, in Iowa. Um, well, that's actually a caucus. And uh, the process for the Democrats and the Republicans in Iowa is actually very different from, uh, you know, for each party. But as I covered in great detail back at uh, in 2012 at Bradblog.com uh, for Republicans in Iowa. They neither require photo ID. Now, mind you, they get to make up the rules for their own caucuses. Each party does. And in Iowa, uh, where they don't have to really worry about state law, they can put in place pretty much any law they want for their caucuses. They have chosen to not require photo ID to vote. And uh, as it was in 2012, uh, each precinct used publicly hand-counted paper ballots. And it was those paper ballots that ultimately led to the correct winner being discovered back in 2012 in Iowa when uh, Mitt Romney was originally announced to be the winner uh, by the GOP. But in fact, it was uh, they were later forced to admit that Rick Santorum was the actual winner because you had human beings at each caucus site uh, overseeing the process. Isn't that what you have always called for when it comes to voting, uh, you know, it, to, to get rid of these, uh, not just the touchscreen voting machines, but even the optical scan systems because they don't allow voters uh, to, well, they they lead to voters not being allowed to hand count those ballots at the precinct and simply having to trust in whatever the computer results are. Well, you know, it's, I'm not at war with a machine. I'm mm-hmm. at war with no transparency. Right. Um, we have to be able to have some way to see and authenticate that count before the ballots travel anywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, there's different ways you could do it. You could use a machine, and then you could let, you know, everybody videotape the ballots. I could deal them out like a deck of cards. That wouldn't take that long. It'd take about 20 minutes, mm-hmm. you know, so that people could at least get a record of what those ballots were. Uh, or, you know, uh, I... A lot of the scanners produce an image. Um, you know, that's not quite as good an option, but, you know, you could just get make those available uh, on DVD or whatever. It, again, it would cost a couple of bucks, and mm-hmm. it would at least allow some way to have some authentication of the count. Um, but now bear in mind, hand count systems, the classic way to tamper a hand count system is just to report the wrong result and hope nobody does anything. Which is what they did in yeah. Iowa. Which, which is exactly what they in, did in, in Iowa in 2012. and Maine, yeah. by the way. Well, they reported, yeah. uh, that's right, and in Maine, well, in Maine they hadn't yet finished all the voting, but certainly in Iowa they had, in 2012, they reported the wrong numbers from the precinct uh, sites to back to the uh, the central tabulator, so to speak, where the, you know, the Republicans were collecting all of it. And right. I, I don't think it was... Well, we don't know. We don't know if it was nefarious or not, but the fact that the public was able to oversee the counting 
at each precinct, they were able to go in and say, oh, wait a minute. Uh, exactly. Mitt Romney, uh, Rick Santorum didn't receive two votes at our, our precinct site. He received 22, and I saw that. You know, that is what yes, allowed exactly. them to correct it. Well, you know, what was so interesting is that was found out, and then when Maine had their caucus, they immediately passed a rule and said, no one is allowed to report what the precinct results were. You're not allowed to photograph it. You're not allowed to record it. And, and uh, one of the... Uh, areas in Maine simply mm-hmm. said uh, they, they got to the caucus and they just voted that down and said, no, we vote to be able to report what the result was. And it turned out that Maine reported wrong numbers, too, but uh, they allege it didn't affect the result. Uh, but, yeah, you know, the, the, the key here is not that there will never be a mistake or never be fraud. The mm-hmm. key is that the public has a right to accountability. Um if you can catch it and do something about it, if you're vigilant enough and doing a patriotic duty of, of vigilance, mm-hmm. um, then that's the whole point. When you start saying, no, you can never see, you can never account for it, then you really have a problem. So oh, Iowa, uh, this year, there's a, you know some effective deterrence that can be done simply by encouraging everyone to go in there and photograph those results. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, you, you just take your phone and photograph it, tweet it. I, I think if you tweet the caucus, <laughs> uh, you know, you're right there in yep. the room and you and you tweet it out, a bunch of people do, yep. uh, it's going to be really hard then to just have a different number show up. Well, So you can't, in other words, you can't stop uh, fraud, you can't stop accidents, uh, misreporting of, of numbers and so forth necessarily, you can't stop at 100%, but the trick here is, transparency and oversight so when and if fraud happens or when and if uh accidents happen they can be caught and corrected right and you know one of the key terms here is deterrence you know what i just mentioned tweet the caucus Mm -hmm. you know um they don't know if if you get the word out that this is an idea that's a good thing to do they don't know which precinct someone tweeted it out you know (laughs) Uh, and took a picture of it. So it becomes a lot riskier to have another, t- you know, you, if mm-hmm. they announced the wrong winner in 2012. If they announced the wrong winner again in 2016, it's going to look uh, pretty idiotic. Well. Uh, not, that, uh, you know, <laughs> not that that is necessarily um, not happening anyway. Right. We're seeing a lot of idiotic things. But <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say that wouldn't be a surprise. In, now, in the Democrats in Iowa, they have a somewhat different system, a really weird system that apparently no one outside of Iowa is allowed to understand. It has something to do with raising your hand and standing in a corner of the room at each caucus. Literally, I mean, that's kind of what it is, right? It's, but, yeah, it's, that's not unusual for caucuses. And then everybody shuffles to the other side right. of the room once they're persuaded. Yes. <laughs> it's quite interesting. But it's, it's really quite, a throwback. But it's quite transparent in one regard, because yes, you literally you can, see. can see who's right. raising their hand and who's standing in that side of the room and so forth, right? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Again, it's it's transparent, um, and I'm sure there will be all kinds of you know uh, uh, people saying this or this or that wasn't fair or wasn't right. But mm-hmm. it's transparent. You know, that's the key. Now, so we've got the caucus in Iowa mm-hmm. that is transparent or could be transparent as long as people are vigilant. Right. And then we have 
New Hampshire and South Carolina. Now, if I had a sound effect, less and yes. less transparent I would, than I would, the caucuses. Yeah, I would play a bump, bump, bump after you mentioned New Hampshire. Yes. Yeah. So explain to us why uh, in New Hampshire, although in about forty uh, percent of the towns in New Hampshire. They actually, it's one of the few places in the country where they hand count paper ballots at the precinct with the entire uh, public and all parties watching before those ballots are moved anywhere. That is the gold standard as far as I'm concerned for uh, election integrity results. But in the rest of the county, I'm sorry, the rest of the state in New Hampshire, they do it uh, quite differently. Tell us what we have to look forward to. And and you know this from experience. You spent a lot of time on the ground in New Hampshire trying yeah. to figure out what the hell the results actually were. Well, you know, uh, we did the, this research, Black Box Voting, in the movie Hacking Democracy, mm-hmm. where we hacked this one particular make and model of a voting machine. And it was so, you know, so smooth that the election official was in the room and said he would never have known if he hadn't, you know, seen that it was wrong. Mm -hmm. Well, what New Hampshire did immediately after the movie came out was run out and buy that very make and model. (laughs) Now, you have to wonder about that. Then they turned the programming of it and basically the control of the machines, uh, chain of custody, everything, over to an outfit called LHS Associates, which is run by a couple of guys, one of whom's a convicted narcotics trafficker. Right who drives around, he got caught in Connecticut driving around with extra memory cards and machines in his trunk, you know. Has admitted, Um, has admitted that in the middle of elections he'll swap out memory cards with, these are the memory cards, have the ballot, the programming for the ballot, have the results on them. You should not touch those in the middle of an election, yet this private contractor who runs all of New Hampshire, uh, where they don't hand count anyway, has said, yeah, we routinely swap out cards in the middle of elections. Oh, yes. New Hampshire, uh, you know, it's it's so painful to, to go there and see what really happens because it's, there's such a wonderful people there, uh, and you just feel like uh, the, the wool is really being pulled over their eyes in a lot of ways. Um, even though about 40% of the locations hand count, that's only about 4% of the population mm-hmm. of the voters. Right. Those are the smaller areas. Uh, they are dispersed pretty well demographically. So uh, one thing that can be done, uh, and one reason I went there in 2008, is when you see the hand count locations have a completely different result than the machine count re- locations, yep. and it doesn't appear to be attributable to demographics, you got to wonder even more. And that's in 2008, just to remind people, that's what happened. Uh, Barack Obama won the uh, the Democratic caucus in Iowa. And then just days later, it looked like he was going to win in New Hampshire as well. All of the exit polls on that day also said he was going to win. And then suddenly Hillary Clinton is reported as the winner. Uh, they they have paper ballots in New Hampshire, but they don't bother to verify the results. Most of them that aren't hand counted in those towns we talked about, they're counted by Diebold optical scan systems, and they're not even uh, you know verified by any human beings. The computers either report, record them correctly or not. And as you said in uh, the uh, Hacking Democracy film, by the way, HBO's Emmy Emmy nominated. Hacking Democracy uh, uh, documentary that you were in, we see one of those machines being hacked. We see an election being flipped. So it can be done. You would think they would want to verify the results, but they don't. They have the paper ballots. They could verify them, but they don't do that in New Hampshire. 
And what was so interesting in 2008 was Dennis Kucinich, mm-hmm. who was a candidate, requested a recount, a hand count. And so I went there. I took a red eye and just got there because I was like, okay, mm-hmm. I have to see this because they're going to be transferring all the ballots from these 300 different towns yep. to one central location. And I want to watch the chain of custody for this, which was horrific. Uh, one of the first towns that came in I, was Nashua. Uh, one of the larger cities, and its ballot boxes arrived open with rips in the side. Um, they they came out of a of a white cargo van dri- driven by two file clerks <laughs> named Butch and Hoppy, yes. and the and they were open. You know, yes. I I don't know. I don't call that a very good chain of custody. So the next one, we made a big stink of it. Yep. And the next ones that came in were Manchester. They were in nice metal boxes, sealed by the poll workers. Problem is, Ward Five came in in the Word 6 box, and Word 6 came in in the Word 5 box, but it was all signed and sealed by the right poll workers. So somebody had gotten to them uh-huh. and done something and accidentally stuck them back in their haste into wow. the wrong ballot box. Uh, and then we spotted them in there, uh, videotaped them even, you know, in the middle of the night uh, with <laughs> ink solvent. I mean, it was the amount of ballot tampering happening after the fact when somebody actually wanted to look at those ballots was was stunning now those... I, it was the most horrifying thing i think i've personally witnessed one of the most in in the whole time i've done this and we covered this i know you did at blackboxvoting.org we covered it in great detail at bradblog.com including those two guys butch and hoppy uh who were delivering this was a case where you have paper ballots that could have been counted at the precinct, but they didn't. Yes. And then that adds to the to, to the mixed concerns about the chain of custody. What happens between the right. time they're at the precinct and, and then they get to the central location where they are counted? Anything can happen. And that's why that gold standard I talked about, I think, is so important of, you know, publicly hand counting on election night at the precinct. OK, but they don't do that in New Hampshire. But at least we can fight to get them counted because they have hand marked paper right. ballots. Then we right. get to. South Carolina and Nevada, oh and I would play the sound effect again, bump, 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 but w- tell us what goes on in, in uh, oh boy, tell us what goes uh, on in South well, Carolina South and Nevada. South Carolina, if something's going to be blatantly stolen, South Carolina's the place to do it this time, because they have 100% mm-hmm. out-of-date, antiquated, mm-hmm. faulty, Yes, and this Ivatronic touchscreens with no paper trail. Yep. Uh, with centralized programming, you are flat out of luck. Now, this is unconstitutional in both New Hampshire and, and uh, South Carolina, by the way. In South Carolina, they are required to count votes in public meetings. Well, what do they do? They stick them in a touchscreen with no record, and off they go, and nobody knows. And, you know, there's, I think one of the best examples of how uh, absurd this is, is there was a race uh, with Alvin Green. Somebody Google Alvin Green with an E on the end, and you'll see it was the most uh, ludicrous result you could imagine. And I know you covered it. Wait, we covered it. Nobody could do anything about it because there was just, flat no proof evaporated he was a guy who nobody had ever heard of he had no job he had no website didn't have a cell phone he lived with his dad he spent no money didn't campaign (laughs) and he ended up winning the nomination the democratic nomination supposedly for the u.s senate back in i think it was 2010 against the guy incumbent 
No, no, actually, he was. I don't think he was an incumbent. He was a guy who, but had oh, been. No. He had been a public official for years. He had been a judge. He had been like a three-term. I don't think he was incumbent, but he had been oh, served for three. He was, yeah. anyway, he was well known. Yeah, you know, he actually tried to a win. candidate. Yes, he yeah. was an actual candidate. And uh, there was nothing to be done. The, the touchscreen machines announced Alvin Green was the winner, and there wasn't a damn thing anybody could do or was willing to do about it. Uh, does Bernie Sanders, Hillary Clinton, Jeb Bush, Donald Trump face that same danger all of these years oh, later yes. in South Carolina? Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, I think if I was Bernie Sanders, um, they might be a little reluctant to totally, you know, mess things up in New Hampshire. New Hampshire has another uh, lever, some leverage mm-hmm. in that they cannot afford to lose their first in the nation primary status because they bring in almost four hundred million dollars a year mm-hmm. in tourist dollars during that month. Uh, so there's huge economic pressure for them not to make an idiot of themselves. So there's a little leverage, you know, to try to make it at least look good in New Hampshire, but South Carolina. You know, if you want to take South Carolina and you have the right connections, you, you can take it. I would add Nevada to that list as well. They also use 100% unverifiable touchscreens across... However, uh, yeah. they have caucuses. Oh. and uh, But the caucuses... Now, the caucus... Uh, Back in 2012. Well, they, hang on. Let me. Let me. Was, the, the Democrats caucus. Don't the Republicans actually vote on, on um, machines? Well, or and, they both and, and, and to add another wrinkle to it, in the caucuses there, they use the touchscreens in many cases. Oh. So. Well, there you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I mean Clark County, which is where Nevada, uh, Las Vegas is. Mm-hmm. You know, I think they. You know, they all line up with touchscreens. Uh, we'll have to check and okay. see. You know what exactly their latest wrinkle is and how they do things. Yeah, Nevada has the touch. They have Sequoia touchscreens, which are yeah. among some of the, you know, I've, they've been banned in California. We'll just put it that way. Yes. Yes. Um, you know, and they've got a very raucous uh, political climate where there's a, a, lo- a long, long history of election irregularities, particularly Look, in Clark County. I, I'm running short on time, Bev, because uh, there's so much to talk to you about. But let me put it to you. Let me let me put the question to you this way. Uh, first, is there any reason to trust the results reported in places like uh, South Carolina, like Nevada, uh, and and what, if anything, can uh, people do, can voters do to fight like hell uh, to, to get, uh, you know, to see results that are actually uh, not worthy of being trusted, but, you know, have, have some confidence in what, what can we, the people, do? Well, you know, you're not going to, there's not just one magic wand you can wave, but there are things to at least um, force some accountability into it. For example, uh, they are supposed to, by law, post the results at the precincts. And in South Carolina, there's not as much absentee voting as in places like California. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and that's something you can go there and snap a picture of what those results are with your cell phone and compare it with at least what they, what they report. Um, surprisingly, just recently in Tennessee, a candidate did that, got a picture of her own poll tape, and it did not match what they said it was. So go so, to the precinct you know, on election night. Match. On election night, go to yeah. the precinct when they're closing the polls. Bring your cell phones. Take pictures of those tapes that print out from the from the machines at the polls. Now, yes. Now, with the caveat that if the machines are 
uh, programmed to tamper the election, you're not going to see the results on that poll tape. But sometimes the tampering is done at the actual ta- uh, central tabulation where everything's being aggregated. So, you know, that's one thing you can do. Uh, another thing is to go to the actual aggregation of the results at the elections office in the county and insist on being able to view what the heck they're doing on that central tabulator. It's classic that they have a quote-unquote crash in the middle of the night, and suddenly when they turn the machine on, the results have flipped. That happens. Mm-hmm. They, oh, they have so many power outages and electrical storms that knocked out the grid on election night. Yeah. You wouldn't believe yes. it. Basically, yeah. what it is is, uh-oh, the results aren't going the way we wanted. We better shut this thing down. Everybody leave the room while the technician is in here, and then you come back and everything switches. So oversight. So, well, uh, you know, you go watch that. Well, yeah. well, watch that. Even though you can't see these uh, ballots being counted and tabulated inside of the computer, with people watching, with eyeballs there, it puts it, it it puts people on warning, does it not? Whether they are uh, county officials or these private vendors who are sometimes allowed to work on the process, sure, puts them on warning that hey, we the people are watching. Right, exactly, and and that doesn't solve the underlying problem of lack of transparency. Mm -hmm. But remember that when elections are taken, sometimes there's some pretty clumsy people executing the deed. (laughs) And, uh, you know, uh, just recently in Texas, uh, they had a person stationed in the central tabulation room and didn't know what he was supposed to be doing. He just kind of sat there, you know, and then everyone left all of a sudden. And he's sitting in there by himself with the central tabulator. And after everyone left, someone else who's completely random and doesn't belong to the election comes striding in to do something and then sees him sitting there and leaves. Well, what happens is this incumbent candidate that everybody thought was going to win did not win. Um, and, and perhaps that was because the incumbent candidate had his buddy who goes into the central tabulator room. And the, the only thing that thwarted it, perhaps, was that there was a guy sitting in there. He didn't even know what he was supposed to look for. He just was sitting there and the Eyeballs make all the difference. We saw uh, our friend uh, John Brakey, great election integrity advocate out from yes. uh, Arizona. Oh, yes. That's, I'm glad you brought that up. Who caught, uh, and we had him on the show to talk about it. He caught, you know, went home, looked at the uh, the webcam. They have a 24-7 webcam in, uh, I think it was down in Tucson uh, in Arizona. And that camera was there because as election integrity advocates, they had fought to get those cameras in there 24 seven. He went home, he looked at the webcam and there he saw someone breaking in a, a county election official breaking into the central tabulator on the day, the night before voting was to, uh, was to begin. So eyeballs make the difference uh, and, yes. You know, get out there and pay attention. And Bev, I'm sure we'll be talking to you much more throughout the year as all of the. Actually, I hope we don't talk to you more throughout the year, but I have <laughs> a feeling, have a feeling that we will. Bev Harris, check out her work at blackboxvoting.org. I, I hope you're rested up, Bev. <laughs> all right. Thanks, Brad. We're going to need it. All right. Uh, thanks, Bev. Great talking to you. Check out her work once again, blackboxvoting.org. Okay, from one fine mess to another, our Green News Report with Desi Doyen is straight ahead. I'm Brad Friedman. Stay tuned. Well, we may be 
melting for Desi Doyen, but we're unable to stop the world. I guess that's a good thing. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> I, I wish we were uh, uh, able to stop this whole global warming thing that is, uh, I want to say, sneaking up on us, but it's not sneaking at all. It is coming in. Uh, like gangbusters. Uh, yeah, it really is. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com with you. That, of course, is... Desi Doyen, we've had, uh, well, we, we had a, a week or so, week and a half or so off from the Green News Report. A lot happened during that week all across the country, uh, including that moment when I saw uh, the big short about the, uh, the, the, the global financial collapse. And I was sitting in the movie theater just furious because the film, I'm not giving away any spoilers here, uh, but the film, you know, has all of these uh, warnings about, oh, the, the, the global economy is going to collapse, going to collapse. And everybody's like, ah, don't worry about it. Nothing to worry about. Don't you don't see anything. And and then, of course, then came the collapse. And it made me all angry all over again because it's like, what do you do? What do you need to do to warn people about what is coming? How, you know, they just love to ignore the warnings and as the movie was ending i suddenly get a text message from you in texas that your sister has uh, been hit not her house but a few houses over hit by a huge tornado in december right after christmas and it made me angry all over again it's like <laughs> oh it, a, a tornado in december something else that we've been warning about that everybody would rather just ignore completely yeah, that's pretty much how it works. Yeah, that is how it works. But we keep warning, as we do in our latest Green News Report. And they have protected uh, many thousands of houses from floods, but they, they, they don't always do enough. Britain's new flood defense is already overwhelmed. That is due to climate change. Climate change, turbocharging, record El Nino extreme weather, state of emergency for Flint, Michigan water crisis, plus... TransCanada sues Obama over Keystone XL pipeline rejection. All of that rejection and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. The entire scientific community has concluded that climate change is real, causing major problems, and Trump believes that it's a hoax created by the Chinese. Oh, as if it isn't, Bernie Sanders. This is your Green News Report. Surprise it wasn't the Mexicans. Usually. Okay, Desi Doyne, it's our first Green News Report of the new year. Yep. So you better make it good. <laughs> now I understand that uh, we've just got data from NOAA. Finding that 2015 was the second warmest year on record for the U.S. Yep, that's right. So when we had this really, really cold winter last year in the Northeast, even with that, it was still the second warmest year on record in the U.S. And we're still waiting for the global numbers. And I think 2015 will have been the warmest year on record for the globe, but we'll find out. What else do you have for us to start the year, Desi Doyen? Canadian company TransCanada has filed suit against the Obama administration seeking $15 billion in damages over the rejection of the Keystone XL pipeline, calling it arbitrary, unjustified, and a breach of the NAFTA trade agreement. This type of legal action, a corporation seeking to overturn a nation's policies using international free trade agreements, is exactly what critics have been warning will happen with 
with the proposed Trans-Pacific Partnership, or TPP, free trade agreement. So TransCanada has gone to federal court and filed a complaint, but they've also filed a separate complaint under this extrajudicial process that takes place under NAFTA. That is just the thing that critics of TPP have been warning and complaining about and especially environmentalists. In Michigan, Republican Governor Rick Snyder has declared a state of emergency for the city of Flint to speed up resources to deal with widespread lead contamination in the drinking water supply. The U.S. Attorney's Office is now investigating why state officials told residents for months that the contaminated water was safe to drink when it was most definitely not. Snyder's administration knew about this. He allowed the lead poisoning to go on. I think this may cost Rick Snyder his office. If it doesn't, it should. In California, Governor Jerry Brown has declared a state of emergency, ordering California agencies to move more quickly to resolve an ongoing massive natural gas leak at a storage facility near Los Angeles that has forced evacuations of over 2,000 nearby residents. Southern California Gas Company admitted last week that its ruptured well does not have a type of deep safety valve that might have stopped the leak because it wasn't required by law. The U.S. Department of Justice has filed civil charges against German automaker Volkswagen for violating the Clean Air Act after Volkswagen admitted it used secret software to cheat U.S. emissions regulations in over half a million diesel cars sold in the U.S. And what kind of fines are they facing if they're found guilty of this? Maximum potential of $48 billion with a B. Ain't enough. Britain just had its wettest December in history and likely will for January, too, with a relentless string of multiple storms bringing record flooding to northern England, which has already overwhelmed new billion-dollar flood defenses that were installed after disastrous flooding just a few years ago. Critics say Conservative Prime Minister David Cameron didn't spend enough. He defended his policies on the BBC. After any one of these events, it's right to sit down and look at what you've spent, what you've built, look at what you're planning to spend, look at what you're planning to build and work out, is it in the right places? Are we doing it the right way? Do we need to do more? And we'll ask all those questions. And you need to ask, did you do it soon enough? I don't think any of us are prepared for what's coming, and I think the massive deaths, not just here in the U.S., but all around the globe over the holidays, underscores that once again. And speaking of that extreme weather over the holidays, meteorologists and climate scientists say El Nino is partly to blame for that extreme weather, record-breaking heat in December that fueled extreme weather that killed nearly 70 people, deadly tornadoes in the southwest and the southeast, including one that narrowly missed my own sister, and, of course, the torrential rains and ongoing deadly flooding in Missouri and Illinois. However, according to climate scientist Michael Mann on MSNBC, climate change is also a major contributor. Part of it is due to El Nino, but the fact that this is the strongest El Nino we have ever seen during what just finished up as the warmest year we have ever seen, um, that is due to climate change. The mainstream media will cover El Nino, but they won't talk about how it is supercharged by climate change. Your sister doing okay? She's fine. I know that tornado missed her house by about four houses. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find us and follow us on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Here you come again. And here I go. Yep. I love that song. Here we go again. <laughs> Uh, one thing I want to underscore here, Desi, on this uh, 
This NAFTA lawsuit, well, this TransCanada lawsuit that is being brought under NAFTA, they're they're bringing two different complaints, one, as you mentioned, in federal court, another under NAFTA. Uh, They are seeking $15 billion in costs and damages that they claim they have suffered because uh, the Obama administration decided to not approve the Keystone XL pipeline, begging the question of, uh, well, why did they have to apply at all if they think it should have been automatically approved? Basically, what they are asserting in their NAFTA claim is that uh, TransCanada had every reason to expect that its application would be granted largely... Because the previous uh, pipeline, the Keystone Pipeline, people don't know there's actually two different. There was the Keystone Pipeline, which was smaller, and then the Keystone XL Pipeline, much, much larger. Which is an extension of the same system. Right. But they think that because the first one was approved, the second one should have been, and therefore they are entitled to billions of dollars because it was not. Keyword entitled. Yes. And they're they're claiming they're entitled under NAFTA, which, again, underscores the problem with these trade deals. We saw, we talked about it a little bit yesterday on the show, we saw what happened with the country of origin meat labeling uh, laws that we have in the, this country. Those were gutted at the end of the year, simply because the WTO, under another trade agreement, decided uh, in favor of Canada and Mexico, who had complained that we required these labeling, uh, meat labeling on our on our labels. Where and that hurt their business. That, that hurt their business coming that the the meat in this package came from Mexico or from Canada and uh, they were awarded one billion dollars per year until we changed our law and with just that threat of one billion dollars per year we changed the law at the end of the year that's it no more country of origin uh, meat labeling in this country well this suit is for 15 billion dollars but it you know it renders our law, our rule of law, our country. Basically, that first Keystone Pipeline was back from 2006 is when that application process started. It took two years to approve. 2008, they started building it. Uh, so basically, they're saying, hey, 10 years ago, you let us build a, a pipeline just like this, even though it wasn't it was smaller, etc. So we have a right to do it again, and we're going to go to both court and uh, to this uh, trade agreement, uh, extrajudicial process, to force you to do it. Well, anyway, I hope they lose, but I don't know if they will. But it does underscore the problem with these uh, with these so-called free trade agreements. Anyway, pay attention, people. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to our booking goddess, Cynthia Cohn. To my guest today, Bev Harris of BlackBoxVoting.org. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can always download it at Bradblog.com or over at iTunes, where we hope you'll subscribe for free. And while you're there, give us a good review. It makes it easier for other people to find the Bradcast as well. Drop me email. I am Bradcast at Bradblog.com. And follow us on the Facebooks and the Twitters at the Bradblog. All right, that's it. I'm out of here. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.